You ready? We're at Tradition 5. I'm at Tradition 5. I'm not sure where you are. I'm at Tradition 5. Oh, 4. That's right. Big fat lie. Big fat. Just trying to see if you were listening. Made you, made you listen up, didn't it? Tradition 4 says, I am autonomous in relationships except in matters affecting other relationship partners, the relationship or society as a whole. And the principle here is the same principle we have in step four, and that is the priceless gift of individuals. That is the priceless gift we have. Which basically means that I can do whatever I want to until it affects somebody else. Then I have to remember that I don't live in a cave. There are other people on this planet. No man is an island, and no, yeah, I'm in this relationship thing. It's because I want to be in them. That's one thing about working with three-year-olds. I have, we have 14 people in our room who all think they're the only people on the planet. <laughs> and you can see it when they ride bicycles and when they run out in front of the bicycles because they're sure nothing's going to happen because they're the only ones that really count. And um, I can get like that. Uh, my individual experience is my boundary both historically and experientially. I really can't, all I've got to give you is my experience, strength, and hope. That's all I've got to give you. And I am responsible to my own conscience. A great tool I got early in the program was take everybody out of the picture. Now, what do you want? I used to tell my sponsor, she'd say, what do you want to do here? And I'd say, oh, well, I'm just kind of confused. She said, confused is what you get when you're picking up somebody else's stuff. The fact is, I know what I want to do, but I get so tuned in on what somebody else, what I think, what I think somebody else wants or someone else needs or something, that I don't know what it is I want anymore. And that's what alcoholism does. It wipes off our face a day at a time. The process of the steps and the concepts are ways to get our faces back. So she would say, take everybody out of the picture. Now, what do you want to do? I don't have to do that thing I want to do, but it is critical that I identify it that I identify how I feel. When I came into the program, I thought I liked country music. I thought it was my favorite. It turns out it was the last two husbands' favorites. Um, I like it fine, but it's not my favorite. I didn't, couldn't tell you what my favorite color was. My question would be, what's yours? And then I'd have to, you know, depending on what I wanted out of you, then I had a... Um, the deal is that the only recognition my soul is seeking is mine. It's me to validate me. I can make the decision to forego my wants, but then it is an informed decision and not a sacrifice. Thank goodness I no longer believe sacrifice is a blessing. I used to think that if you hurt enough, if you denied yourself enough, then the duck would come down and you'd get $100. You know, remember the duck? <laughs> um, I thought life was like six flags. When you get in, you get to ride all the rides for free. But what I discovered in Al-Anon is that most of life is... Uh, walking between the rides and standing in line. And if you don't have a good time with the people you went to Six Flags with, you're going to have a bad day. It doesn't matter how many rides you ride, it's a bad day. Um, every relationship is an individual entity. I must allow myself and others to exercise our right to be wrong, humbly willing to apply the lessons I learn when I do affect someone else. And that's what happens when you step out there other people are going to be affected, and it isn't always going to be, they aren't always going to like it. Matter of fact, a lot of times they aren't going to like it. Um, that's a risk. I'm an instrument in the orchestra of life. Some days I'm lively percussion, some days mellow cello, and of course, 
God doesn't just use me. I'm not just a channel. God creates me, and nobody else can sound like I do. Nobody else can do what I do. No one else can do what you do. No one else can sound like Ellen's. If I'm not autonomous, if I'm not Ellen, God can't play. Can I be truly autonomous without knowing who I am? Can I be autonomous in my relationship with my higher power? I don't think I really can be. My diseasiness is my perception of separateness, that God and I are separate. Do I think about how my decisions will affect others when it's appropriate? Do I communicate with them and come to agreement? Are there times when I follow my decisions even though they may appear to negatively affect others? When do I do that and why do I do that? To what lengths am I willing to go to protect the integrity of my relationships? How do I deal with others' anger about something I've done through my autonomy? Boy, that's the, that's the hard one right there, is when they get angry. I don't know about you, but when I came to Al-Anon, it had been a very, very long time since I'd been angry. And I pinned my children, but I didn't do anger. I think that's the way it is for most of us. We either come in hurt or we come in angry. We're either sucking it in on us or else. And I think it's the same emotion. I think it's actually healthier to be angry than it is. I thought that I didn't like angry people because they reminded me, you didn't know what they were going to do next, and I need to know what people are going to do next. I say so I can be prepared, which is another word for control. Um, what I came to discover was that it wasn't their anger I was afraid of. It was mine. I was afraid to let myself be angry. I remember the first time I actually felt angry. And I called my sponsor, and I told her. And I said, now what do I do? She said, be angry. Oh, I, don't, I don't like it. It doesn't yuck. But go ahead. Just feel angry. Anger has a beginning and a middle and an end. And anger is always a second, at least for me, a second-level emotion, which all, it always covers up fear. I'm afraid of something, and that's when I get angry. And that's what I have to remember about them, is they're scared. That's why. How does this freedom preserve unity in my relationships? When I recognize my autonomy and yours, it is possible for us to be in a relationship as equals and not with someone having to be better or worse than someone else. Do I allow others to live by their own standards, unfettered by my judgment or attempts to control? <laughs> but when they want so little for themselves, um, do I ab abide by the steps and traditions because I want to or because I think I should or I have to for somebody else's approval? saying okay tradition five because my purpose now this is my purpose and it may be that your um travel through the traditions may turn up another purpose for your life and that's perfectly all right perfectly all right this is my purpose since my purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to god and thus to those around me my relationships have but one primary purpose to serve as an expression of this service message. It's the same principle that's in step five, carrying the message. You know, when I did my first inventory, my first fourth step, and then I did uh, step five, I, that was when I found out what the message was I'd been carrying all those years. It wasn't pretty, <laughs> but that's when I found it out was in that fifth step. So, duh, whatever my purpose is, whatever my purpose ought to be, Whatever my purpose is ought to be why I do stuff. But before Al-Anon, and even today in my diseasiness, I get scared. And people in fear are self-centered. And I forget about God. And I think you're, you're supposed to make me feel better or give me a good deal on a car or agree with me or be my sponsor or stay with me forever. 
And while those things can happen in healthy relationships, rarely do they work or satisfy if my motive is not in agreement with my primary purpose. Um, early on, my sponsor told me that I, I make decisions from one of two places. I either make them out of fear or I make decisions I make out of fear are the ones that become reactionships of love. And whether it's love for me or love for you, um, the decisions I make out of love are the health. So what about all those reactionships that I've been in in my life? You know, one of the things we say to each other, I don't hear it much in meetings anymore, and I'm kind of glad, and it might just be that my group knows I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> and that's that we have bad pickers. We don't have bad pickers. Apparently, Harrison Ford is an alcoholic, I found out. I'm not surprised, are you? Um, we've been given the ability to love some pretty unlovable. The deal has been is that we forgot where they started in, in those, and that's when they became real. Don't. But it is the kiss of death if I love you. <laughs> if you don't have, if you're not in a 12-step recovery program, you might want to start looking for it because you don't need it. Um, as a matter of fact, when I started dating my husband, my uh, he wasn't in any 12-step program, and he, my sponsor said, is he getting any kind of. Uh, professional support because if he's going to date you he's going to be she was right <sighs> separation and divorce are the rule in alcoholic homes whether there's drinking or using alcoholism is a deadly disease it kills sweet relationships and security and trust and it kills the people but i do believe i have a god who says every day it's good and i believe every relationship like everything human every book Every day, every feeling, every everything has a beginning and a middle and an end. I get afraid because I don't want to go through something. I don't want to go through it. And I get stuck at the beginning because I'm afraid of how I'm going to feel. And the trouble is when you get in the middle, it doesn't say, oh, only two more days to the end. <laughs> when you're in the middle, you're in the middle. But if I believe that it all has a beginning and a middle and an end, if I believe that it came to pass... It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. You know, it was the year of cancer. Um, I had to go through the valley of the shadow of death. My sponsor used to say, now don't go buy in a condo and decorate it. Just move on through there. She was big on that decorating things. I'd be doing things at home with this, trying to do things with this active alcoholic I was living with, and she'd say, honey, you are decorating a burning house. <laughs> hmm. And just like you hear an alcoholic say every drink was necessary to get to AA, I believe every relationship, every reactionship we've been in was necessary to get us here. There isn't a single one of them. There are a lot of them I don't want to go do again. But I am grateful for that experience. I don't regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. And I recognize that it was necessary to get me where I am today. And I wouldn't trade this place because I can't get to the next place if I'm not at this place. Um, it used to be that when the apparent end came with a relationship, whether it was with a person or a pencil, because I don't know about you, but I can get attached to a pencil, when it no longer seemed to meet my needs or my expectations, that was the end. Sometimes I trash canned them, and sometimes they trash Today I don't have to walk away from relationships or shut down emotionally. Now that's what I used to do. I worked at a school for a lot of years for, for children with learning differences, and the first couple of years, we took a whole bunch of kids we wouldn't we didn't take after that because there really were some took them, and we had this one little guy who was in the fifth grade. Guy was I loved him. 
hello. Um, but he, he couldn't stay in a classroom. Things would happen, and, and he, for whatever reason, and he'd get scared or mad or whatever, and he would bolt. And they put him in our school hoping that we could teach him how to be in a classroom. Well, the first thing we had to do was teach him how to bolt safely. You know, we had to kind of go one step at a time. So we asked him to pick out the safest place on our, in our building that he could go to when he bolted for him. Well, the safest place he could think of was in the knee hole under and I'd hear him coming down the hall, and I'd have to swing myself out of the way. Whoo, he'd slam right into that knee hole, and he'd go, this window closed. <laughs> but, you know, how much of my life did I live with this? No. I don't know about you, but there are big blank spots. There are, my children will talk about times that I don't anymore remember. Um, there are days missing. There are months. I don't have to do that. Most of the time today, I, and today, for the most part, my behavior doesn't send other people screaming into the night. And I'm not sure why, but I believe God really is in charge. If I'm still here on this planet, in this job, in this relationship, it must mean I can still be. When I was working at that school, I'd worked there a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years. One of the headmasters called me due north. He, uh, he'd say, would you come in and talk with me and let me be sure that we're on the path here because I know you. <sighs> it is my purpose in life. And um. Uh, and I knew the way things ought to be, and things were changing. It had been 25 years. I guess it was time for things to change, but I, you know, I don't like it. I really, 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 really didn't like it. But my every day I would say to God, if you can still use me, and if you've got someplace else for me to go, boy, am I ready to go. But I'll stay here till you don't need me to be here anymore. And um, what happened was my son uh, had announced to me a couple of months, well, a year earlier, and a couple of months after that, my daughter called from California, and she said, guess what, we're going to have a baby, and we're going to move home because we don't want to raise the baby out here without family, and we want you to quit your And my husband went, no way, no way, no way. He, he felt, uh, you know, there's a difference between financial insecurity and fear of financial insecurity, and he had great fear of financial insecurity. And um, what happened was I kept saying that prayer, and in July of that summer, Madison had been born. She was born in April, and... Um, I went to California, and my husband made A-tapes on his way. Clint Hodges, and Clint was doing the steps, and Clint said, somebody asked him exactly how much money did he have. And Clint said, oh, how much money did he have to have so he wouldn't feel financially insecure? And Clint said, it's God anymore. And when my husband heard that, he went, you can come home if you want to. So what happened was I gave up this place I'd been 25 years, two weeks' notice children, but the only children, I'll keep them, I don't ask, and, um, uh, or if you can ask, but don't expect a positive, and it turned out to be the best thing that ever, and I stayed there exactly to be there. My sponsor used to say, if you don't know what to do, we get in trouble by trying to force solutions. I want to force a solution, so then I'll feel better, and one more time, I'm into a reaction ship. The answer will become clear. Um, I tell God, uh, I know what I want. When I was married the last time, the time before this, let's say, um, <laughs> let's call it that, uh, he, uh, he, w- he couldn't stop drinking and I couldn't live. Was, I, I was physically ill. Do it. And um, he moved out. And but my, the folks said, you need to call a lawyer. And I called a lawyer. Well, you need to call a lawyer. Finally, I called the lawyer guy. And he said, why are you calling me? And I said, because they told me to call you. And he said, you don't know what you want. And he said, that's okay. The alcoholic will make up your mind. 
and they will. Uh, and and it wasn't an hour later he walked into the house and um I, and I'm and I got to say something because I got to I got to get a reaction out of him. And I said I've called a lawyer. And he said, Oh, I did that last month and I've already filed. Oh. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess I don't have to worry about doing it. Been done. And so I would cry. I would cry with my, my best friend in the program. I'd cry and I'd say, you know, I don't think God gives you what you, I don't think he gives you what you want. He might give you what he need, but he, he'll never give you what you want. And she said, I don't believe that. I believe God, God gives you what you want and what you need. And I said, I don't believe that. So we had to ruminate over that and ruminate over that. And finally we got back together and she said, you know, this is what I believe, that God will answer our and our high, my highest prayer was that I wanted, that I wanted to be of service as best I could, and that meant I couldn't stay in that marriage. They were mutually exclusive, and God answered my highest prayer. And I think that's what happens in these deals. If my if if my highest prayer is to be actively in service, that's that's what's going to get answered. Is this the purpose of my relationships? If this is not the purpose of my relationships, what is? It was like, uh, it used to be sometimes when people came to Al-Anon for the wrong, I'm here because somebody sent me or I'm here because, you know, we have to come here or the treatment center won't let us go see our kid or um, I'm here because my, you know, my my kid is doing drugs and I'm here and blah, blah, blah. And I used to think they were going to ruin Al-Anon. Yeah, of course, you know, and I have to police that. Um, It worried me a lot. What I discovered was, if Al-Anon doesn't feed them, they won't stay. Um, if it's not their heart's language, at least right not right now, they won't stay. Um, all I have to do, stay me and do my part in Al-Anon. Um, and it's the same with other relationships. If they don't fit my primary purpose, they end. I don't have to pick and choose which one. I don't have to decide who I'm going to love and who I'm not going to love. I might as well just love them all. And if it doesn't, that's what my sponsor says when I t- tell her about what this is. Just love them to death. And I said, that part I like. Um, I don't have to work on the relationship just on my primary purpose. There is a set-aside prayer. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you this, but I'm going to warn you. If you say it, things will happen. God, don't put anybody in my life until you can be first and I can be me. And what happened when I said that was that people, but that was what I wanted. I wanted God to be first, and I. Um, our tradition says the only requirement for membership is that, is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. It doesn't say you have to see them drinking. It doesn't say you have to be able to name them. Although that that's the joke, you know, anybody can get an AA, but to get an Al-Anon, you got to know somebody. <laughs> What I tell folks when they say, oh, you know, but I don't, I don't think I have any alcohol in my family. I say, just come. Just come. And if it works for you, don't worry. There were some or there are some, you know. It, don't worry about it. You don't really need to know who they are. That's, they are not the focus. Although, I don't know about your meeting, but we say it at every one of my meetings. We keep the focus on us and not on the alcoholic. It's like we go, oh, that's right. Focus on us and not on the alcoholic. So, so hard to remember that. Um, do I ever resort to emotional blackmail? Do I ever start sentences even silently with, if you loved me, you would? Or if you really wanted to be my friend, you would? Or I would never treat my friend. Now, that's one of the places that is the hardest these days, is I have principles and I expect other people to live by my principles. 
I would never treat somebody like that. I would never do. And you say to somebody, you wouldn't either, would you? Well, that isn't the, that isn't the problem. The problem is that's the way these other people are living their lives. None of my business. None of my business. Could I go a whole week keeping focused on my primary purpose with no complaining or explaining? Maybe a day? <laughs> Try it for an hour. <laughs> and it's a lot easier to do it in here with these people than it is out there. Do I go within for my source of strength to transcend my seeming difficulties? Do I really understand that my troubles are of my own making? Or do I explain or shut down or get angry? Um, tell you that story. <laughs> I might have to get over it. Uh, oh, I'm just going to tell you. Okay. Um, this has been a difficult year. This has been one of the hardest years I believe I've ever had. And I'm so grateful I have Alan on because you'd be having, there'd be certainly be somebody else up here today and I'd probably be hospitalized someplace else. But this, that's not what happened. Um, and I was so glad to see 2009 go. You will not believe, in July, I started dating my checks 2009.5 <laughs> to remind myself we were moving through. We were moving on through this. And um, it, and it started, you know, easing up. Things started getting a little better. My daughter was diagnosed with breast cancer last spring, and my son left his family of 15 years. And my grands, my older grandsons, are doing that in and out of jail all the time. And it just was hard. It was just hard. My dad had died. My doctor of 37 years died, and it was just hard. It was hard, 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 hard. And it'd been coming on for years. Actually, my doctor said the biggest problem I had was that my husband was home 24/7. <laughs> She wrote, a, she wrote a prescription, and it was for him to go away and leave me alone one afternoon a week. <laughs> I took it home, and he does. He goes away. And I, thought, I thought I could see the light at the end of the tunnel as we're coming through December, and it's about done. And then that Monday of New Year's week, something like the 27th or whatever it was, we had these 30-foot hedges behind our house that block our view of the office building back there. And I love them. Uh, I'm very attached to them. They're on the outside of my fence. They're on their property. And they gave a guy a chainsaw and told him to go trim the hedges. And there's 15 houses back there. And they he'd done two. They, those people weren't home. And then he had started on my... And I could hear the chainsaw going back there. And I'm like... <laughs> I was telling my husband, do something, do something. Well, he's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? Um, and it, it, the upshot of it is they took the hedges down, and now instead of seeing this beautiful view from my kitchen window, you see the, busy, you see the middle of a very busy street back over there, and the noise level in the... <gasps> um, and what happened was uh, I kept saying, we ended up calling them over there, and they ended up saying, um, you know, this, that was a mistake. We had a complaint. Well, it turns out my brand-new neighbor complained that the... Hedges were pushing her fence, and that's and so I'm having to go. You know, I'm coming into 2010 with this wonderful affirmation that says, "In her innocence is my freedom." As long as I hold her responsible for what happened, you know, I am making my own trouble. I'm keeping myself nailed to that idea that she's responsible for what happened. She really isn't. She just did the best she could do. It's just like the guy with the with the hedge trimmers did the best he could do. Pretty poor, I might add. But it was the best he could do. Um, do I depend on my relationship partners or my own language, looks, race, race, education, age, appearance, job, etc., for my self-esteem? Boy, if I just lose those 10 pounds. 
I'd feel better about myself. I used to tell my sponsor, if that happens, then I'll be happy. She said, honey, she would say over and over again, honey, if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy then. Because I don't know about you, but there's always one more thing. I could lose that 10 pounds, then it'd be this droopy eye. (laughs) You know, there's always one more thing. Can I practice God's love when I can't feel it myself? Sometimes it's the only way to end. Do I allow others' needs to come before my spiritual growth? Can I see others through God's ears or God's eyes or, or hear them through God's ears when? Let me tell you the time that I can do that the very best, and that's when I'm hearing a fifth step. That's, and that's my prayer when the fifth step starts, is God, let me see them with your eyes and hear them with your ears and love them with your love. And that's the way I go into a fifth step. What? It's quite the treat, I must say. Tradition six, I ought not overly invest myself in others' spiritual, emotional, or physical growth, lest problems of ego gratification divert me from my primary purpose. The spirit of letting go of attachments, which is the same spirit of step six. It's a a risky place, to be sure, especially with children. But I know where the overly line is, although sometimes it's not till I've crossed it. I heard a speaker say one time, he thought he was talking to a room full of alcoholics, but some of us had disguised ourselves as alcoholics and slipped in there. And he said, if you want to do something for somebody and you're not sure whether it's loving kindness or enabling, go ahead and do it on the off chance that it's loving kindness. (laughs) And if afterwards you feel screwed, (laughs) it was enabling. (laughs) Or angry or sorry for yourself, any form of victimization. It's a sure sign that I did what I did to make me feel better. To enable myself. That's who I enable. I don't enable them. I enable myself. And my own self-serving behavior, afraid of how I might feel if something happened. The difficulty with this is diagnosis. When I'm having trouble with this, the way I diagnose it is, have I called it mine? That's when I lend my name to an outside enterprise. I call it my son. I got rules from my son. They come up instantly. I don't even know they're there, but if it's my son. I called my sponsor last summer and I was telling her, my darling grandson is back in jail again. Isn't there something we can do? What can we do to help him? She said, now I want you to repeat that problem to me one more time, and this time I just want you to, to use proper nouns. I don't want you to use any pronouns. So what I had to say was, Tony's back in jail again. She said, is your name in that sentence? No, she said, then it's not your problem. But the minute I call it mine, whether it's my job, my body even, you know, when I call it mine, I've lent my name, and I am overly involved instantly, I can tell you. I try to to say my children's names. I don't do that with you because I almost feel like I'm breaking their anonymity. (laughs) My daughter who's been, this next... Friday, my daughter will have 20 years of continuous anonymous. And for a long time, she thought that anonymity meant not telling people she was my daughter. <laughs> I don't care, whatever it took. Um, early on, I heard about detachment, and when it finally happened to me, and detachment is not something I could make happen. Detachment came as I kept the focus off of them and on me. When I did the things that were mine to do, when I let them do the things that were theirs to do, one day I was struck he was doing the most absurd thing over there, and I didn't care. 
He looked like King Baby sitting over there in his chair, and he was pointing his finger at me and doing this stuff, and I wasn't even listening. And I had to watch myself because I was afraid I'd laugh. You know, it's like, serious up, Ellen, serious up, you know. Um, I think uh, when I when I first tried detachment, when I first welcomed it, it was because I was trying to keep myself alive or not to screw up their lives. And and heaven knows, a great deal of the time, I don't know whether something is mine to do or somebody else's. I don't know. Um, this is one of the myriad of reasons I have a sponsor, a loving sponsor. Someone who can hear me and give me sound perspective. Does this sound like healthy behavior? And there are questions that she has given me. Can they do it themselves? Will it hurt them if I do it? Will it hurt me? How will I feel if I do it? Do I really want to do it? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And, um, you know, there's most, there's so many things, most things on this planet are not mine to deal with and are none of my business. That used to be just an awful, awful thing to know, but I am so grateful for that today. Um, today, this tradition is my guide more often than not, living in my own body. It's something I do with my sponsors a lot of time. I mean, sponsees, they'll say, well, um, I'm just really scared, and I just don't know, and I'll go take a deep breath and remember that you live right behind your belly button. When you live in alcoholism, you develop this trait of living on the, at the end of your fingers. You walk into a room, and you can sense. You know, it's one of our gifts and talents that we'll kill ourselves with, actually. We'll walk into a room, and we can sense where the hot spots are. You can tell where the people are. You don't want to go over there. You can tell by the body language, the look on the face. You don't want to go over there. You don't want any part of that. And what I've learned in Al-Anon is to take a deep and remember that I live behind my belly button. I don't live out here. This is the safe place, really, right behind my own belly button. (coughs) Keeping the focus on my source and not on them. My sponsor said, sweetheart, the deal is you trust God and love the people, not the other way around. Trust God and love the people. Trusting God and loving the people, remembering that no one human relationship can fulfill all my needs. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I wanted to find him. I wanted to find it, and I'd be done. But it turns out it's not that simple. When I try to be many things in a relationship, what feelings are motivating me? How can one become spiritually dependent upon another? From God. When we give him the power to make us happy or miserable or whatever. Do I allow others the dignity to succeed or fail emotionally, physically, spiritually without trying to save them or claim their successes? Also hard with the children. Sometimes what my sponsor told me one time because I was telling her these things that were going on and what my kid was doing that I thought was so dangerous, and she said, has it occurred to you that this might be the best thing that ever happened to him? This might be the best thing he's ever done. This might be the best thing that's ever happened to him in his life. I had a, a gal, a sponsee one time, she said, um, I see what my child's doing and I see this huge wall he's going to run into. But she said, that's my wall. I don't see the door he sees. He can see a door. Um, do I recognize and honor the fact that other adult human beings are not melody? That's that page out of the ODAT. It's either January 7 or July 1. Those two pages, 1, 7 and 7, 1, just one of those is no adult human being is my response. 
Do I encourage and support others but avoid directing them even if they ask me to? What I learned very early is that there is a universal law of change. And when I change, if I change a behavior, everybody around me has to change. And they don't want to. It was not their idea. So what they do is they do their old behavior harder to get you to come back and dance with them the way you used to dance with them. And that's when a newcomer comes to you and starts practicing some Al-Anon, and they come back and they say, it's not working, it's not working, and they tell you what's happening. Those people in their lives are doing their old behavior harder. It's a sign that it is working. The trick is don't fall off the edge now. Stay here. How do I feel when someone declines my help? What are they thinking? Can I remember that giving is a feeling of control and that receiving is a feeling of powerlessness? Do I know where the line is? How do I know when I've overly invested myself in others' lives? Talk about it. Um, Are my relationships spiritual or do they have other bases? And And I have to look at that because I will think that my relationship with my boss is so that I can keep my job. But the fact is... My boss is not my employer. God is my employer. I'm about my father's business. And if this is not where God needs me to be, I will be sent someplace else. And I will be provided for. My husband always says, historically speaking, because the truth of the matter is, I always have been. I am starved to death yet. You know, um, I've always been taken care of. I'm always thinking, though, that this is the time. This is it. God has now moved to the Bahamas and left me in the care of his retarded nephew nephew who doesn't like me. <clears throat> and I'm going to be tortured. And i got to go back to step two and believe, find out if I really still believe there is a, that it's possible for me to be restored. Um, one of the prayers I've ended up saying a lot this year is, uh, I let go what goes. I don't know about you, but I don't always let go what goes. I have a lot of yet yeah buts about, oh, I'm not ready for that to go. But I've said this year, I let go what goes. Divine restoration, divine fulfillment are taking place now. And that's the restoration that's offered me in step two is divine. And the thing that comes after that is an I love what comes. 